sermon podcast of Paoli Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mexel. Well, it is good to see all of you here on this Palm Sunday morning. And I want to ask you a question as we begin to think about our passage this morning. Um, have you ever had that sort of sick feeling in the pit of your stomach when you realized that either you had done something wrong or you had failed to do something that was right, the thing that you were supposed to do? And when you realized it, you just kind of had this sinking feeling like, oh no, what have I done? Or, oh no, what have I forgotten to do? Uh, I remember in, in school... Um, a few times when a teacher would walk into the room and say, okay, class, hand in your homework. And that all of a sudden, a light bulb goes on in your brain. And you're like, oh no, I knew there was something I was supposed to do last night. And it was the homework. And you have this sinking in the pit of your stomach feeling at that moment. Or maybe it was a time when your mom or your dad or someone who was in charge of uh, giving you directions said, you can play in this area, but you can't play in this area, or you can't play with these toys, or you can't go here. And we're like, okay, I get that at first, but you know how enticing it is when someone says, play here, but not here? It's amazing how the thing where you're not supposed to play looks so much better as time goes by. And before long, you find yourself doing the thing that you were told not to do, when suddenly you look up and that person in authority, that mom or dad or teacher, whoever it was, is looking right at you, you're like, uh-oh, I'm caught. There we go. What do we do in that moment? Or maybe for uh, a few of you, you've been driving down the road, and this is perhaps the classic of these kind of examples, and all of a sudden, in your rearview mirror, you see those flashing lights, and again, you just sort of have this sinking feeling all over, like, oh no, I know I was going a little bit over the speed limit, but I wasn't going that far over the speed limit, right? And every once in a while, that, that police car will just go right past you, and you're, oh, a reprieve. Then there are the times when the police officer pulls up right behind you and it's, you're caught, right? You've done it. You, you knew you were speeding and you've gotten away with it many other times, but this time, not so much. We've all had those experiences, right? We've all had those experiences where we were caught either doing the wrong thing or caught not doing the right thing. And while those situations that I just outlined are mostly not pleasant, um, they, the, the outcomes of them are generally short-lived, right? Um, but what about those times, what about those times when we make decisions that have a bigger consequence? What about those times when we do something that, that breaks a relationship with another person, or where we recognize that we've genuinely sinned against God, and where we've really done something significantly wrong? At certain points in our lives, we can recognize that those consequences for the things that we've done wrong or the things that we've left undone are, are not insignificant. You know, it's one thing to receive a zero on a homework assignment or a reprimand from your mom. But what happens when there are life-changing consequences? We can fear at those points that there's, there's no hope. No hope of avoiding the, the consequences of the situation. No hope of, of avoiding the eternal punishment of God. We may wonder whether God can actually and will actually forgive us of our sins. The Bible tells us that we serve a forgiving God, a God who loves us, a God who wants us to receive forgiveness, a God who wants us to receive a new relationship with himself. 
Even when we think we've gone too far, we should remember that God's desire is to be in right relationship with each one of us. And so on this Palm Sunday, a day as we remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem to the praise of the crowds, we're going to turn our attention back to another experience that he had in the city of Jerusalem when he was confronted with a set of circumstances in which punishment seemed like the appropriate outcome. Jesus was pushed to intervene in the situation of a woman caught in the act of adultery. And the common understanding of that day was that she needed to be punished immediately. But in his response to her situation, Jesus opened an opportunity for her to receive forgiveness and to remind us of the forgiveness that's possible for us. As we enter this Holy Week, we too are reminded of the forgiveness and love and mercy that Jesus extends to us. I'm going to read this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, beginning with verse 2, where we read these verses. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, making her stand before all of them. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. There's a phrase, caught red-handed. It's a term that comes from 15th century Scotland, pointing to the blood on the hands of a murderer, on a poacher. Someone who had actually committed one of these kinds of crimes, they actually still had the blood of their, of their crime on their hands. And it was clear evidence that they had been caught that they had been the one who had engaged in this activity that they shouldn't have engaged in. And it's not a biblical term, but the concept, the idea of it is clearly brought out in this passage that we've read here this morning. The woman that was described here is said to have been caught in the act of adultery. And the only proper response to her behavior, according to the law of Scripture, was to stone her to death. That was the clear understanding of that day of of what the consequences of that kind of activity were. There was no further evidence that was necessary. When the religious leaders came, they didn't need to show any more cause. She was caught in the act. No question that she had sinned, and the results of her sin were clearly defined in the Old Testament law. This woman found herself in a significant predicament. It was Uh, had more significant um, consequences than some of the things that we talked about earlier. It wasn't just getting a zero on a homework. It wasn't just getting a reprimand from someone. She faced the significant predicament of potentially, and in a few moments, losing her life. And as we read that situation, as we understand it from the Old Testament, it seems like a clear-cut case. It seems like there's there's really no question about what needs to happen next. Clear-cut, right? Well, would the teachers of the law have 
brought to Jesus a clear, open and shut case? Doesn't seem likely, does it? While the situation seems simple on the surface, this was intended to be a question to trick Jesus, to try to put him in a circumstance where they could find charges to bring against him so that they could, they could actually uh, condemn Jesus in the midst. There was no question about the fact that it, this was not a, a legitimate question that they were asking. They had heard Jesus' views on forgiveness and compassion on the sinners of his world. Would he respond to this woman's blatant sin with that kind of forgiveness? The law of Moses was clear. Those caught in adultery were to be stoned. And yet that same law also pointed to a problem. Many sins that we commit are personal sins, aren't they? You only need yourself to lie or to steal or commit any number of other sins that are outlined in the Bible. But adultery is one of those few sins that by definition involves more than one person. You can't commit adultery by yourself. So where was the man in this situation? Why was he not also brought to Jesus if they were caught in the act? Clearly, this wasn't intended to be a legitimate question for Jesus. It was a trap. These leaders weren't interested in learning from Jesus. They wanted to catch him. They wanted to destroy him. But Jesus used this opportunity to, to teach them and to teach us a very, very important lesson about forgiveness and about the need and invitation to receive it. So instead of getting caught up in the game that his critics were playing with him, Jesus decided he was going to shift the focus. They seemed set on upholding the law and maintaining discipline and order. They wanted justice against this woman. She needed to be punished, and they were present to ensure that that punishment would occur. So Jesus said, fine. If that's what you believe, that's fine. But you, you be the first to throw the stone at her. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. If you're so pure, if you're so ready to see justice happen, then you start. And what happened? Slowly, Scripture says, beginning with the eldest, the accusers began to disperse. They thought they were so smug and smart, they had it all figured out. They could trick Jesus. Then, with a simple question, Jesus turned the tables. And as we read that, it's easy to think, you know, to wonder, how is it that, that they could be changed so quickly? How was it that they could, their outlook could be so different? Apparently, when Jesus posed this question, the reality of their own situations dawned on these leaders, perhaps for the first time. Perhaps they had never thought of someone else's sin in relationship to their own. They saw this hierarchy of sins, and they knew they hadn't committed the quote-unquote really big ones, and so they were there to make sure that justice was done. But Jesus wanted them to understand that they were sinners as well. What if they were in her shoes? Sure, she was guilty, and she deserved punishment, but before they could smugly attack her, they needed to look at their own lives. And when they did... Thankfully, here, they, they began to see their own personal guilt. No, they probably hadn't committed the kind of sin that she had committed, but Jesus helped them to understand that their sins had separated them from God just as much. And for whatever reason, we, we sometimes join these legal experts in focusing on the really big sins of life, don't we? People who commit murder or steal should be sent straight to hell. 
Anyone who is an adulterer or engages in sexual sin should be, have no chance of the Lord's forgiveness. Those who engage in things like anti-Semitic or racist activity, they should be punished without delay. And, you know, to some degree there's validity in the sense that there are sins that have, have bigger consequences. They can have a bigger impact on the lives of the person committing them and on the people around them. But, and, and, and they're also easier to see and, can, and the, the impact of them can be easily seen. But at the same time, in Scripture we read that even small, even seemingly insignificant sin is enough to separate us from God. Whether we've done the big things or the little things, we all have sinned against God. And in doing so, we have all broken our relationship with God. It isn't that all sins are the same, but all sins ultimately lead to an eternal separation from God. Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, before you start pointing fingers, you need to look at yourself and recognize that you are guilty of that kind of punishment as well. And that same reminder to each one of us is made by Jesus today. We are reminded of our own personal need of a Savior because we are all sinners. Well, these religious leaders, it, it finally dawned on them and they began to drift away. They recognized their sin. They recognized their inability to be the ultimate judge and jury in this situation. They weren't without sin, so they weren't prepared to throw the first stone. Then it was just Jesus and the woman who were standing there. What was next for her? We might, we might imagine that she could respond something like, well, thanks, Jesus. Thanks for showing them. You showed them. How dare they point to my sin? Thanks for stopping them. Now, if you don't mind, I've got some things I need to get back to. If you don't mind, I've, I've got to get back to my life. That, that could have been her response. It doesn't seem like that's quite what happened. But you see, some people, they hear this story and they think that it, it's telling us that sin doesn't matter. It's, you know, we read this and we think, who are we to judge? How can we say that someone else's activity is wrong? After all, Jesus didn't throw stones at this woman. Does that mean that he didn't care that she was a sinner? But you see, that's, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus didn't come to stone this woman for her sin. But he also didn't come to leave her in her current situation. Earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 17, we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to destroy the woman. He came to offer her forgiveness. But he also called on her to stop her life of sin and instead to find a life of salvation and new life. He said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. There was hope for this woman, not in going back to her sinful activities and behavior, but in finding the forgiveness and salvation in Jesus Christ. Does that mean that we are called to ignore sin? No, not at all. But it should mean that we approach sin with a much more humble and understanding and dependence on God. God saw sin as such a big deal that Jesus Christ had to come to this world to die on a cross to pay the penalty for that sin. It's that big of a deal that he offers to us hope and forgiveness. And it's not just for a right relationship with God in eternity, but it's also so that there's an opportunity for new life here in this world. We look at, at this woman's situation and we can learn a, a couple of different lessons here. 
Some people can look at this situation, then the, the sin that this woman had committed, and they can come to the conclusion that, you know what, just like her, God can't forgive me either. You may be sitting here this morning like this woman came before Jesus, and you may think that there is no hope. Here's the good news. Jesus came for this woman, and Jesus came for you and for me. That verse earlier from John 3.17, John 3.16, that's a much more familiar verse to many of us, reminds us that Jesus came for the whole world. Whosoever will may come, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. No one is beyond the scope of God's forgiveness. This woman had clearly sinned, and yet Jesus offered her forgiveness. We read about the Apostle Paul later in the New Testament who, um, who had killed Christians and, and sought to exterminate the church. He found forgiveness. Back in the Old Testament, we read about King David who was a liar, an adulterer, and a murderer. And he found forgiveness. Whosoever will may come to Jesus and find forgiveness. Not because of what we can do for God, but because of God's love and mercy and grace for us. That's one lesson we can learn from this passage. That forgiveness of Christ is available to all. And that's good news. There's also a message for us sort of on the, on the flip side of that message. We also need to guard against the problem of the religious leaders. While no one has done so much that forgiveness is no longer possible, no one has done so little that forgiveness isn't needed. Let me say that one more time. While no one has done so much that forgiveness is no longer possible, no one has done so little that forgiveness isn't needed. Scripture reminds us that we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And that means we can never be so arrogant that we can think that we don't need the forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ. Those religious leaders that came, they were reminded of that fact by Jesus. And they were reminded that that forgiveness that was extended to her could be extended to them as well. We all need a Savior. The good news is, one has been provided for us. Jesus came to die for each one of us. As we recognize our need for him, we're invited to turn and to receive that gift of forgiveness. Whether we've done the quote-unquote really bad things or we've done things that are maybe a little closer to the line, we've all sinned and we all need that forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There's a, a story back uh, a few years ago, back to the days when Samuel Colgate, that great American businessman, was a member of a local congregation. Colgate, who's, we know him for his toothpaste nowadays, but he was a, a famous businessman of his day. He's a part of a, of a church, and during an evangelistic campaign uh, in that congregation, there was a prostitute that came forward and confessed her sins. She was brokenhearted. She openly wept. She asked God to save her soul, and she expressed her desire as a result of that to join the church. I'll gladly sit in the back corner, she said. And with that question, the, the preacher hesitated to call for a motion in, in that church to accept her into membership. And for a few moments, the silence became oppressive. And it was at that point that Mr. Colgate arose and said with a, an undertone of sarcasm, I guess we blundered when we prayed that the Lord would save sinners. We forgot to specify what kind. We'd better ask him to forgive us for this oversight. The Holy Spirit has touched this woman and made her truly repentant. But apparently the Lord doesn't understand that she isn't the type 
that we want him to rescue. Many in the audience blushed in shame, and another motion was made, and the woman was received into membership. Sometimes we, we have to get this, this balance right, don't we? No one is, has committed too many sins that they're beyond the reach of God, and no one has committed too few sins that they're beyond the need of God. Both the religious leaders in this passage and the woman who came before Jesus caught in the act of adultery, both of them needed a Savior. Both of them needed to respond in humility to Jesus Christ and to receive the forgiveness and to receive the hope and to receive the new life that was offered to them. Receiving that forgiveness of Christ, we are also reminded the call that Jesus placed on this woman's life as a result. He didn't tell this woman that she was forgiven to go back to her life of sin. Instead, he, he forgave her and then called her to something far better. You see, salvation isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's also a present work of God in our lives to mold us, to develop us, to make us into the people that he desires. Does that mean we're going to be perfect and never sin again? Of course not. But it does mean that God invites us to a different life, a life where we receive the forgiveness of Christ and where through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, God changes our motivations, changes the ways that we look at the world around us, begins to mold us and make us and remake us in God's image. Jesus offered grace, and Jesus also offered this woman a fresh start. Having been caught in sin, this woman was not condemned. She found forgiveness and grace in Christ. But Jesus didn't want her just to remain in her sin. Is that because he was heartless and and was, was being difficult? Of course not. It was because Jesus knew what was best, and the best for this woman was to stop her life of sin. We are called not to give excuse to future sin. Jesus wants something better. And that's why we we receive guidance in Scripture. Because God has a better plan. This passage this morning, as we begin this Holy Week, is a beautiful reminder to us of the forgiveness and the hope of Jesus Christ. No one is too far gone. that They're beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. And that's the good news for us. As we enter this week, as we recognize our sin, we also recognize that there is one who died on a cross on that first Friday, paying the penalty for your sins and mine. And then on Easter Sunday morning, he rose again, giving us hope, hope of eternal life, hope of a new life in Jesus Christ. It's that good news that we gather to celebrate today and each day. One of the tangible ways that we do that is by sharing the elements of communion together. This tangible reminder of the body of Christ that was broken to pay the penalty for your sins and mine, and the shedding of the blood of Christ that was poured out to pay the penalty for your sins and mine. We are invited to this table today to receive these elements as a way of remembering and recognizing the good news of hope and forgiveness in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, it is with grateful hearts that we gather in your presence today. We gather around this table and these elements where we are reminded of your sacrifice for us. You saw sin as such a big deal that you needed to come and die for us. And Lord God, we are grateful for that.
And so, Lord God, today as we share in this bread and share in this cup, we pray, Lord God, that you would bless these elements, that you would use them as clear and tangible reminders to us of your love, of your care, and of your hope. We're grateful today, Lord God, for the ways that you're at work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so on the night of his betrayal, Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Whenever you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And so today we take the bread, remembering the body of Christ, broken for our sins. Let's share the bread together. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, poured it out, gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us take the cup today, remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord God, it is with grateful hearts again that we are here in your presence. Lord God, we recognize sin is real. We recognize that in each of our lives, sometimes we've done those really big things. There are times when we think that we've gone too far and that there's no hope. Thank you, Lord God, for extending that forgiveness. May we receive your gift of love and hope and forgiveness. Lord God, we also recognize that sometimes it's easy for us to see in others sin that maybe we haven't committed and begin to think that we're better than we are. Lord God, thank you for that reminder that we all are sinners who need your grace. And thank you, Lord God, that you extend that grace. And having extended that grace to each one of us, we recognize in it a reminder and an invitation to be people of grace, helping others around us recognize and see the reality of sin, but that you didn't come to condemn us for our sin, but to offer us forgiveness, hope, and new life. Lord God, may we each recognize that and receive it this day. Thank you, Lord God, for not leaving us in our sin, but for inviting us to a new life through the power of your Holy Spirit to live in obedience, to live in ways that honor you, that express your love in relationship with others and with you. Lord God, we're grateful today. We can stand and we can worship you. Thank you for the ways that you guide us. As we gather here today, we also pray together as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.